This is season three of The Bowl, The Bear, and My Brother's Chair, a podcast hosted by brothers Nate and Brian Lucius, leaders of Gradient Financial Group. Each episode, they'll talk about how they're bullish, how they're bearish, and the chairs they cherish. My name is Anthony Etman, and I'm the co-founder and CEO of Geeky Guy, which is an asset management and technology firm focused on the trust revolution and value mobility. Before co-founder Niki Guy was an Air Force captain and technology and real estate entrepreneur. I'll be on the podcast today to talk to the guys a bit about decentralization, Bitcoin, the trust revolution, that crypto, and, and why it all matters to you. Well, let's get started. We are back with the bull, the bear, and my brother's chair, Nate, season three. Season three, baby. Oh. Here we are can't believe you know when when spotify itunes they're all reaching out to us begging us to do season three we're like i don't know if we have time and we inked the deal the haters said we'd never get to season two and here we are <laughs> never make three. it but it is exciting to be back i will say we've got some great guests lined up for the year you know for those of you uh if this is your first season listening to the podcast you can feel free to get caught up a lot of people do binge on our episodes but we try to focus on interviewing people from different industries and we come from the financial services industry, so we are flooded with ideas and things that always revolve around our industry. So it's fun to get a fresh take on other industries. And a lot of times, what do you end up finding? Yeah. You know, what we often find, Brian, this is, might shock you, but our business, uh, financial services business, is not that different from others. Everybody needs distribution. They need customers. They need good products. They need good services. And so we do have some good guests lined up that I think will shed some light on different industries, but what they're doing successfully in their business. And uh, so, yeah, we're excited to get this season three rolling. Awesome. Well, let's start before we bring our first guest on, which we're not going to introduce yet. Not yet. Because he's part of what I'm bullish on. But he's somebody we've been trying to get on for a long time, which is a big financial services topic right now. All right. Now, I'll give a little clue when I'm on my bullish, but what, what, are, you, what are you bullish or what are you bearish on right now, personally? I am bearish on um, the continued talk of, obviously, COVID and blah, blah, but then COVID gets into supply chain. Oh, yes. Yes. Right? It gets into, it's hard to hire, it's hard to get staffing people to do shortage. things. Staffing shortages. Let's just establish the fact that that that's what's happening, okay? And let's also establish that this, that's not going to change anytime soon, right? It, it's just not, right? It could be three months, it could be a year, but it's not going to do us any good to talk about it. Right? I agree. We've established that it's challenging. Therefore, if you're a business and you're trying to attract customers, you're trying to attract talented employees, it's not easy. And so that isn't coming upon us and upon everybody else that runs a business or has a business to make it happen. I would agree. And that's the bottom line. I would agree. The, ex- the And it's not an excuse. I'm not saying they're excuses. They're real they're things real. that slowed things down. It all leads to me not getting whatever it is I ordered for six months past when I thought we would be able to get it. Yep. That's fine. Just tell me that. Yep. It just is what it is. And sometime in the future, it will change. Uh, but honestly, you know, the economy's doing okay. Uh, things are expensive, which is both good and bad. Yep. But it's just just the fact of life. I would I'd, I'd rather be there than talking about, you know, everything's cheap and there's no money in the economy and blah, blah. That's the other side of it, which is, is not a positive. I would agree. I would agree. So I'm going to go bullish on kind of a similar topic on what our guests are going to talk about today, but I'm going to call it, let's call it the blockchain world for as much as I know about it. Okay. Yes. Let's call it, I'm bullish on, on cryptocurrency. I'm bullish on NFTs. 
or what we call non-fungible tokens. Yes. And I'm even semi-bullish on this thing called the metaverse, okay? Now, if you've looked at my crypto portfolio I have in Coinbase, which is uh, uh, currently about 50% down from where I bought it. Nice. So that's not bullish on my own, but I'm bullish on where cryptocurrency can go. I think that it's establishing, you know, it's beginning to establish what it really could be. I think there's a lot of uses for countries with no banking systems. I think there's a lot of uses for a lot of people born in this world that don't have identities, birth certificates, social security numbers. Like there's a a lot more uses than I think what we can see in way past, you know, the 16 year old kid on Instagram who bought a Lamborghini because he hit it big on Dogecoin. Right now, NFTs. Okay. People look at those and they're like, you paid $400,000 for basically a picture on your phone of an ape, right? Which is a real thing right now. Yep. Now, people say that's crazy. Why Why would anybody do that? Anything that is rare in life is worth whatever the guy selling it thinks it is and whatever the other person will pay for it. Yep. All right, let me give you an example. I don't know if you read recently, a guy was going to buy, a guy bought, 1983, I think, two tickets to Michael Jordan's first NBA game. Okay. Yep. Trying to find a buddy to go. Couldn't find it. He puts one of the tickets in a drawer somewhere. He goes to the game. He digs this ticket out not too long ago and has an unused ticket to the original first NBA game, Michael Jordan. Yep. You know what he just auctioned that ticket for? 200 grand. 483,000 American dollars. Nice. Now, would you in your mind think that that is crazy? Yes. All right, but somebody somewhere sold it. Somebody somewhere bought it. That ticket, in fact, is worth? Zero. Zero to you, but it was worth $483,000 to somebody else. NFTs, I'd put the well, I'd put wine in the same category, art in the same category. Some of it's ridiculous, but it's worth what it's worth. Again, I think NFTs have a vision of where they can really go that people don't quite understand, and it will eventually level out. Not going to get too far into the metaverse on this one. But I've seen people do crazier things. Think think back when The Sims was out. Yep. You know, people did mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff. People pay money for clothing on Fortnite, which is a video game, like yep. I think is nuts. But I think all this stuff is interesting. And I think, although my brain probably understands 2% of what its capabilities are, there are people that are smarter than me in that world that see a lot more than I do. They have a solution to that. What's that? Our guest today. Okay. okay. All right. Our guest today is Mr. Anthony Emptman. So he is an expert in the crypto world. Uh, he and his partner run a large crypto fund, uh, an investment management fund, and really they're focused on distributed ledger technology. Are okay. you familiar? <clears throat> no, not with the term. I hear ledger used so a lot. So distributed ledger technology. I'm not sure if it's exactly the same, but that's really what people refer to as blockchain. Yep. Okay, mm-hmm. a decentralized way, meaning it's not, United States currency or some centralized government usually. Yep. So it's decentralized technology, which is really the underlying blockchain as you and I would know it. Right. It's about as much as I can tell you about (laughs) blockchain. Uh, But this gentleman, so he's the CEO of uh, an asset management firm called Ikigai. And he will have to tell us what that means. And his partner is the chief investment officer. Really, really smart guys. They run a large crypto fund, a long short. Mm-hmm. You can actually go long short crypto. You're probably not doing that. I'm not doing that. I'm I'm just buying it and losing money. Right. Which yeah. would be you buy it high and sell it low. That's right? what I'm doing right now. So anyway, these guys are brilliant guys, and we're gonna talk 
he'll probably nerd out with us a little bit. Okay, good. But we're also going to talk more practically. And their whole theory, right, if you're going to believe in, you know, crypto, blockchain, that whole thing is that in 10 years or 15 years, my child is, he's currently six years old, yep. my son. Mm-hmm. And his theory and their theory is in 10 or 15 years, right, it is going to be, it's not going to be new. It's just, that's what totally. they know. Mm-hmm. And so I heard a speaker actually a couple of weeks ago talk about, you know, your only relevance to technology mm-hmm. is what you've ever known in the past. I would agree. So if you think about the internet, mm-hmm. right, back when Al Gore invented it, there was probably a 10 year period there where a lot of people that were in their 20s and 30s when in the 90s, like when that was starting to come about, yep. were in the same thing. Well, I don't really understand. What am I going to do? Go on my my. The internet's my, a fad. My huge laptop thing and like talk, like, what am I going to do with that, right? And, right. That, and that was their thing. So that's their premise is that this is such a big world and most people know Bitcoin, mm-hmm. right? It's just, you're just scratching the surface of what this is and what it will do for our lives. Yeah. And so their whole thing is how do we make money doing it? And so we're going to talk a little bit about what should the average person who comes into our offices, who talks to us and says, you know, I should really buy this Bitcoin thing. What do you think? Mm-hmm. All the way to ledgers and blockchain and like where the future of this likely goes. I would, I think that'll be fantastic. And I think, you know, you think back 20 years ago, if somebody told you you'd be able to pull a phone out of your pocket and look at someone and FaceTime them, they just said you were crazy. My kids only know that that's how that works. Yeah. Like, and the person no idea what I'm that I heard about. talk, they said, think about people that were too young or weren't around when 9-11 happened. Mm-hmm. Okay. To us, right. I was... I guess in college in during nine eleven, mm-hmm. and like that is a moment in time that everybody like it changed our worlds and it changed our life and it changed the way we travel and it, it just changed everything. Right. But my son, who's six, when I try and explain that and and not just you know the tragedy that happened in New York that was the but like what happened because of that. Mm-hmm. If you think about that as a theory, right? This is what blockchain and all the crypto assets and the things we're talking about are going to be in 10 years. Yes. And if you're young, you're not going to have to debate it in 10 years. <laughs> oh, no. Just is what it is. Which is why I think it's fascinating and interested in having them on is that, you know, it's why I'm bullish on it is I just think where it goes, I can't see, but I have great faith that it will become yeah. a major part of our society. So and these I- gentlemen too, we'll talk about it. They put out an incredible amount of, um, you know, different podcasts. Uh, every month he writes like a 25 paragraph, what's going on in the world of, crypto and blockchain it's it's fascinating and i don't understand 90 percent of it but we're going to try and understand about you know eight or ten percent of it today good well i'll let you have the first guest of season three nate so i'll get on out of here and we'll bring them on all right welcome my guest mr anthony epman to the show uh anthony how are you doing today i'm fantastic loving life i'm down here in puerto rico so it is sunny and 75 beautiful oh, no complaint i am in <laughs> minnesota where it is not sunny and is not 75 not, yeah not quite the same <laughs> that's right so hey um i appreciate you joining us here for the uh first guest of season three uh that's probably something you've always dreamed of huh love it yeah no it's been at the top of my list <laughs> that's right so anthony um known anthony for a couple years now and He's the uh, CEO and, and founder of uh, an asset management firm called Ikigai. Did I say that right? That's right. Yeah, Ikigai. 
Eeky guy. So uh, anyway, yeah. we're not going to get into today probably you know how that started and where that's from because we got a ton of other content, but they have a tremendous amount of uh, experience and expertise, mainly in what everybody would know as the crypto market. It's much bigger than that, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Really, is this whole concept of decentralization, uh, crypto? Just we're going to try and do not too deep of a dive, but get into the main points of what should we know as business owners, as investors, as people in the community, like what is this going to do for us? So Anthony, let's start with this. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. So talk to me about, you mentioned, I believe you said the trust revolution and decentralization. Let's start there with kind of laying a foundation. Absolutely. Yeah. So the trust revolution is, um, <laughs> you know, traditionally governments and corporations have been the entities that are the most effective uh, delivery providers for any particular uh, unit of trust or product of trust. And, and so, you know, I grew up on a family farm um, from Washington State. I'm fifth generation. My great great grandfather homestead there in 1887. So one of my favorite examples uh, to, to help people wrap their mind around trust as a product is actually the FDA. So if you rewind about 130 some odd years, the Intercontinental Railroad, the Transcontinental Railroad was completed. And prior to that, everyone had like a direct relationship with their um, grocers or their um, meat packers or butchers or whoever it was, right? So you kind of had a direct relationship with the person that was providing the food you were eating. And all of a sudden, you had this railroad connecting the coast, and uh, you were then able to deliver foodstuffs and meats and and other products from the Ohio River Basin, so uh, you know central uh, United States, which is the largest contiguous arable piece of land in the in the world, and get that out to the coasts. And so all of a sudden, you you no longer had that direct relationship. And if you remember from like middle school history class, this book called The Jungle by Upton Sinclair, that book was describing the relatively atrocious uh, standards in meat processing facilities. And out of that was born the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, because the government at that point in time was the most effective and efficient uh, provider for United States citizens to trust that the food and the other items that they're going to put into their body is safe and is following some sort of health standard. Now, fast forward, uh, you know, uh, over a century to where we're at today, and you now have massive corporations, power centralization and governments, and that unchecked absolute power has destroyed trust and it's corrupted value systems and it's forced society to become mutinous and their search for a way to guide their ship you know that's uh, their individual ship their family ship their organization ship just in a better direction and over the coming years and decades decentralized and distributed technologies will increasingly step in as that guide, eventually becoming the preferred means to preserve trust and value throughout daily life. Instead of a large corporation or, or government, it's going to be technology. Yeah, I, I think that's a great uh, analogy. And so as we talk about that, you know, most and what we talked about a few days ago was 
you know, whether we're not going to talk about what's happening in Russia right now, but I think that's a, a pretty good example, right, of uh, yeah. you, you're, you're reliant upon, and we in the United States are very much reliant upon the government, uh, the money system, just what happens, right? And so as you talk about that, you know, what you were describing there is really this, you know, decentralized concept. So let's right. talk about more specifically how what most people know is Bitcoin, even though there's 15,000 or whatever uh, currencies (laughs) available as Bitcoin really emerged, you know, the, the average person probably learned about it three, four, five years ago, something like that. Yeah. And so let, let's talk about the concept of how that was born and not, not, not from an investment standpoint per se, but the concept of why is Bitcoin or any other coin you can talk about what was the need? Like, what what problem were people trying to solve? Yeah, no, absolutely. So, so Bitcoin was incepted or born in January of two thousand nine. So it was on the the backside of the global financial crisis. Yep, and that crisis was largely caused by uh, irresponsibility from central banks and governments, and the fallibility there is speculation and derivatives um, and the kind of middle class citizens ending up with the bag and a kind of final failure in a individual's trust that the government is <laughs> is capable of running a sound economy, a stable currency. And in in non first world countries, you know, protecting their citizens from asset seizure. And so Bitcoin, you know, we at, at Ikigai we have um, what we call our four questions, and those questions kind of help us arrive at an understanding of you know what why you might need a particular crypto asset or uh, decentralized product. And and those four questions are: How ready is the world for the technology? How ready is the technology for the world? What do you need decentralization for and how decentralized is decentralized enough? So let's kind of run through an example, you know, as it relates to Bitcoin there. And so if you have every and, and just, just to ed- just to lay the foundation of this decentralized concept, right? What yeah. you're describing is not relying on a central body, a government, a somebody who kind That's of right. tells you how the world works. That's right. Yeah, it's non-sovereign, so it's yep. not connected to a particular government. It's decentralized, so there's no one individual or group of individuals that can control uh, whatever it is that we're talking about. Um, so yeah, just not connected to a corporation, not connected to a government. That's decentralization. And um, the if you if you think about what Bitcoin's potential use case is, it's, it's working on becoming a store of value. Right. Right. And if you think about a global digital standard for a store of value and you don't really want that thing to be controlled by a particular government or group of governments um, or Facebook or uh, Amazon or anything, you Mm -hmm. want it you want it to be controlled by the people. And the the need for that and this is exacerbated now over the last two years with COVID and, and every first world country kind of headed down this full-blown modern monetary theory path to where they have 
no obligation to balance a budget like a household does. Really, all they're doing is managing a belief system. That's all money is at the end of the day. It's a belief system. And when you print trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars and people see the purchasing power of their hard-earned dollars inflated away, that is a catalyst to search for a better way, to search for uh, something that has a hard cap supply. Uh, It's non-sovereign. It's decentralized. It's immutable. Uh, and you know, it's hopefully a, a store of value. It's a better home for your assets than holding cash. Would and it, you know, would it be a fair statement to say, you know, you, you said earlier that uh, you know it's really a trust and a belief system. That's kind of what money is, right? It, it, does, does it have value? Do people believe it has value? And if they don't, we see what happens to asset or currencies around the world. So, would it be a fair statement to say, you know, really? supply and demand is really a, a driving factor behind the value of Bitcoin. Meaning, Absolutely. like, you know, do, is, is there demand for it? Do people believe in it? You know, they got the supply of it, obviously, but it seems like a supply and demand equation to me. Certainly, certainly. I mean, that's, that's somewhat a premise of inflation is if you print right. 30, 40, 50% of all U.S. dollars in existence in the last 24 months, um, you just got more supply of dollars. And so the scarce assets that you want to hold, call it real estate, guess what's more expensive today than it was uh, two years ago? Real estate. Right. Uh, You know, it just takes more dollars to buy the same piece of real estate. And so that that same concept does apply to Bitcoin. You're you're absolutely correct. So so let's let's go down the path. You mentioned the four questions, which we can go through. But so my, my big kind of question here as we move on will be, you know, years ago when I heard about it and I bought some, not really knowing anything about it, and I still know about 3% of probably what I should, but uh, not knowing anything about it, I bought it as an investment vehicle. Hey, this thing seems to have value, seems like it's going to increase. But what I really want to talk through as we go through these four is much bigger than that, right? Most people, I still believe the general public that are buying crypto today are buying it as an investment. They don't know what to do with it. They don't know how it's going to change their life. They they just don't know. They're saying, hey, it's at 40,000 or whatever Bitcoin's at, and I think it's going to go to 100 or some number. So foundationally, I think that's what most people, maybe not you and others, but most people are buying it for. So let's start talking about the adoption and kind of walk through those four questions. So is the I think your first one was, is the world ready for the technology? Right. Yeah, so a common misconception or or misnomer is that all of these assets have a similar use case uh as that they're they're meant to be mediums of exchange or currency and and it's not necessarily true it's not i mean it's outright not true (laughs) it's each crypto asset is chasing a solving a different layer of the overall financial stack uh, so like with Ethereum, you're looking at a smart contract system. Uh, if you think about all of the contracts that exist within your life from your home loan to your auto loan to payroll, insurance, uh, it, 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 everything that your money touches, all of that has a contract behind it. And a, and a good contract is quantifiable, right? So you're leaving as yep. little room for qualitative interpretation as possible. 
And so if it's actually a quantitative thing, that means it can be expressed in code and then managed by code. And that's kind of the, the use case that Ethereum is um, pushing toward. And you can kind of go on, go on down the line of decentralized storage, um, you know, ownership and property rights. And it, it, there's a whole slew of different things that touch this. And so if you if you fast forward and you think about the world in 10 or 20 years, there's just going to be more of your um, overall financial and value ecosystem that's driven by um, crypto asset protocols behind the scenes. Yep. You know, that much like much like you interact with the internet today in a, a click button, uh, you know, type of fashion and user experience going to be very similar for your financial experience in the future right so, um, so that's very similar you know I, I don't even remember who it was and i won't name names but you know back when the internet and computers and everything was was moving along there was a executive of a large tech company that said you know i can't i can't see a reason why any consumer would want a computer in their home <laughs> and for many people i think that that relates to bitcoin well what do i want to do with this fake currency and what what do i want to do with it i I can't do anything with it. And they're probably right. The average person today can't really do a lot with it, the average person. So as we talk about that, and as we move through kind of questions and however you want to you know, address this, but the underlying real value to much like the internet, much like a computer, right? It just, things happen to us over time. And when my children, we talked about this, are six and eight, I believe in 10 years, like we're not going to have to explain a lot of these things to them. So talk a little bit about that and kind of as you walk through the, like the future, right? What, what are we building and what is, what is the world building this technology to? Yeah. Yeah. So if you, so I kind of talked about this yesterday on our, on our partners call, oftentimes you can build a, a scalable um, business around what's not going to change. You know, it's a little easier to to do that than try and make consistent calls on what's going to change. So right. what's not going to change? And, and what's not going to change is that the world is going to continue headed heading toward the digitization of everything. And the world's going to continue trending toward operating on a computer's time scale, so 24-7, Instead of a human's time scale, which is like 250 some odd working days a yep. year, eight hours, eight hours a day, right? That's basically how banks work. And in the future, the you know we're going to exist probably more in a digital environment than an analog one. That's kind of where the whole metaverse concept comes in. And you're going to have assets across you know your whole. If you think about the 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 entirety of your um, net worth or your, the, the, the value that makes up your life. And, you know, you've got your home equity, you've got your equity in your car, you've got cash in the bank, you've got stocks and bonds and crypto assets, and you've got this rare battle axe that you found in a video game ecosystem, yep. World of Warcraft, whatever it is, right? And you, and you're going to walk into Starbucks and you're going to have your phone or, or a card and you're just going to have a preference on which of those assets you're using to pay for that Starbucks. And you'll have, uh, it'll be, just be kind of drag and drop, just like you can drag and drop the credit cards in your Apple wallet. 
you can set that preference on your end too. And uh, the fractionalization of everything will be possible. And so mm-hmm. it needs to sell a, a hundredth of a percent of that rare battle axe in order to pay for the $4 latte, then it, all of that's behind the scenes, right? Yep. And all of that's hand, handled by a decentralized protocol that you know we're talking about in terms of a crypto asset today, but will be um, unseeable or un, unseen by most in the future. Um, it's just going to be a GUI, a graphical user interface, and people don't really care how it happens. They just care that it works. <laughs> yeah, I, listen, I, when we were talking about that yesterday, I said, Anthony, let, level with me here. Let's say I walk into a gas station tomorrow, and I've got to buy two gallons of gas. And, you know, it was much cheaper a few weeks ago, and now it's $7 or whatever <laughs> whatever it costs. Yep. But let's yep. say I got to spend what I know as $14, right? And so my question to you was, okay, am I going to be able to translate $14 into 0.000062 coins? And the answer was right. no from you. And I think that was, that's what most people ask. Well, I, I can't use it. It's not realistic. So continue down that path a little bit about, you know, that whole concept of behind the scenes. And, you know, I, I just know I have value in something. And like you said, whether it's a mortgage, whether it's a latte or a gallon of gas, if you could just keep going down that concept of, you know, five years, 10 years down the road, really what the underlying, and, and we haven't mentioned the word blockchain yet, okay, which right. I think is a relatively uh, good point to talk a little about that and kind of the, the underlying technology. That's right. Yeah. So the short answer to your point, most of this is used for speculation yep. today. Because you're speculating on that future that I kind of just described and that there are going to be crypto assets and, and blockchains and protocols in the future that drive that and therefore uh, create and accrue value. Um, there are uh, nascent companies today that will issue you a, a debit card or a credit card and allow you to um, spend just like you would from a bank account or a normal credit card, but you're, you're spending, um, you know, your portfolio of Bitcoin or Ethereum or Solana or whatever it is. Right. And it's just not, you know, if you think about the crossing the, the chasm of adoption, it's just in the very early adopter stage. And the, it, it, it kind of, reminds me of this statement as a, around innovation or, or honestly just change in the world that we, we tend to overestimate the, the next two years and underestimate the next 10. Um, right. That, that's, that's highly applicable to everything that we're working on here. And it's, um, do you mind if we dive in a bit to like the why? Yeah, of, absolutely. Of why we would need a new it, financial system. It, absolutely. So, if you're in a first world country, it is understandably potentially somewhat difficult to understand why you would need a different system or why you would need a uh, one one foot in both worlds, the decentralized world and, and the centralized world. And with this truckers protest, what we saw was actually a relatively shockingly authoritarian response from the Canadian government as it related to the individuals that were involved in that protest. 
And if you think about some of the individual liberties and freedoms and, and rights that we tend to kind of take for granted in day-to-day life in yep. first world countries, so we're talking about freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of expression, um, freedom of assembly. What do all of those things require in order to express those rights? They all require money, you know, freedom of assembly, right? You got to pay for a taxi cab. You got to you know, pay for a flight. You've got to... Um, you know, freedom of speech, if you want to have a blog or a newspaper or whatever, they all cost money. And so there's this kind of unwritten legal system to where a central bank or, or government can influence the compliance requirements for the financial system and create, quote unquote, high risk uh, uh, users, uh, either individuals or entities, and then outright sanction them. So yep. you can seize the bank accounts, you can freeze insurance policies, and you can it, ultimately, without due process of law, without the presumption of innocence, uh, you know, before being proven guilty, you can remove someone's ability to express those um, rights and freedoms. And this is a peaceful protest, by the way, um, just by forcing them to work in an analog economic system, yep. to force them to move to cash. Now, when's the last time you paid for a flight in cash? <laughs> like, right. Could you even do that today? I mean, I don't know. Um, and same thing with insurance. Could you pay for an insurance policy in cash? But all of those financial institutions are businesses, right? And so if the compliance costs to comply with whatever the government is requiring them for, quote unquote, high risk individuals or entities, there, you just become unbankable, all, again, without due process of law. And admittedly, I would have never expected this catalyst for that level of understanding of why we need this in first world countries to come from Canada. But but here we are. And things like events like this are happening more and more frequently in the preceding couple of years. And it's it's brought attention to why we might need a system that is not subject to the fallibility of centralized power, whether Let, that power sits with corporations or government. Yeah, is that helpful? Absolutely. And so let's talk about this. This is one of the big issues or problems that I hear from you know the the average person at a cocktail party. Right? Oh, I'm a big Bitcoin guy. You know, I love it. And then you start talking about it, much like me, and you it kind of ends about nine sentences in when you get to the end of your knowledge base. But most people say, well, I don't really get it. You know, who's to say there's not somebody out there and you got mining and you got code and all this stuff that can't just, you know, bust the system or can't just log in one day and say, you know what, that I don't really like this. Let's do this. Like what what stops that part? And, and I don't have a full understanding of this is in terms of, you know, mining and the, the code, so to speak. Can you speak to that a little bit? Like, I think that's a big you know, question for the average person is, well, at some point, aren't we just going to wake up and it's going to be worth zero and it's all going to be gone? <laughs> you know, it's a great, it's a great question. And, and this is uh, a great segue into what is called Byzantine fault tolerant uh, distributed ledger technology. And I know that's a, that's a big acronym, but, yeah. but it's important to the understanding of how the outcome that you just described is prevented. Yep. And so if you if you rewind to like the Byzantine era, like 
I don't know when this was, a thousand years ago. And you think about a general, uh, you know, sitting around a city that they're um, looking to attack and, and take over. And he's got um, some colonels that are also surrounding the city, but they're all kind of spread apart, right? Yep. So this general needs to coordinate with his other armies, his other colonels, uh, and ensure that they all attack at dawn, or say two-thirds or supermajority, whatever it is, attack to dawn. Otherwise, the the ransacking and the siege fails and the, the city successfully defends, yep. right? So he, he's got to send a messenger out to his colonels and uh, you know have that messenger tell them, um, hey, we're, we, we need to attack at dawn. And the colonels also have to send a confirmation back saying, hey, we confirm we are going to attack at dawn. So what do you run into in that scenario? You'll run into the, the uh, potential for a spy from the city to intercept that messenger and change the message and um, interfere. Or uh, the, the messenger makes it to the colonel but just doesn't end up making it back to the general. Yep. You've got all sorts of different little scenarios like that. And so how do you solve that problem with um, perfect information? So you, you know that the decision you're arriving at is correct and all of the little nodes, all of the kernels and generals are in alignment on the message that was shared back and forth. So solving that problem, the Byzantine general's problem, is how you arrive at Byzantine fault tolerance. And, and that's how you arrive at this conversation of a blockchain is that each blockchain, I say it's the Bitcoin blockchain or the Ethereum blockchain, they have different um, ways to try and achieve that Byzantine fault tolerance. And that's how you arrive at a ledger, a record of what's happened that's immutable. So it can't be um, reversed or changed once it's crystallized. And it's trusted or trustless. So that you, you, I guess both in that you don't need to have a direct interaction with the counterparty and have a trusted relationship there. You're, you're actually just trusting the code um, that underpins the overall blockchain or ledger. And, sure. you know, Bitcoin has been doing the same thing uh, by and large since 2009. So, you know, we're coming up on 13 years or something like that. It's oh. probably bad mm. public math, but... <laughs> yep. Uh, and you've got um, 10,000 nodes or something like that all around the world for people that are responsible for verifying um, the the chain and the transactions that are occurring. Right. So, um, so the net result, what you're saying is, yeah, if you got a million people or two million people or some some number like that to say, let's let's mess with the system, like, is that possible? Or is that not even, and, and that's not realistic, but is that possible? Yeah, so you would need collusion across um, a supermajority of those that are responsible for, you know, running running a node or r running right. the network. And given how much of, say, like Bitcoin's hash power exists across so many different counterparties, it's... Uh, just so astonishingly unlikely. Right. And the um, count counterpoint to that would be, as we talked about, you know, centralized governments, right? You've got two or three or 10 or some body of people who could potentially do that in a much shorter period of time. Uh, in terms tell of, me more about what you mean. Well, in terms of 
you know, how much money do we issue? Do we not? You know, the, the, the whole, I guess, manipulating currency is what we're kind of talking about here. Right. And in a central government, one I would think could argue that it would be much easier to do that than what you're describing. That's exactly right. Yeah. So how many people in totality control the Fed or right. which is supposed to be, to my understanding, an independent organization, but is actually influenced by Capitol Hill and the current sure. administration. So, you know, you've got some uh, potential for nefarious activity there. You've got, um, yeah, just far fewer Sure. players involved that could manipulate uh, for better or worse the overall uh, monetary and fiscal policy that governs the United States what what do you uh, think from a uh, you know a layman's point of view a, a, a user so to speak a person like me right that that has the ability to you know purchase Bitcoin or, or whatever from right. a an actual usability usability in the sense of my daily life. Like I know you don't have a crystal ball and neither do I, but are we two years, 20 years? Like how do you, in your wildest dreams, how do you see that evolving over the next five, 10 years? Yeah. So, so Bitcoin is, I like to view it going, going through four stages. It's so like the, it's in the first of four stages right now as a speculative store of value working toward becoming a store of value. So the use case there you know, right now today would be kind of similar to gold or real estate yep. or uh, even just kind of view it as an insurance policy against the continued monetary and fiscal policy irresponsibility from central banks and governments. If if you think that that's going to continue, then Bitcoin's a great insurance policy. It's the fastest horse as it relates to that continuing to play out. And then stage three is it's a speculative first layer financial system working toward becoming a, a first layer financial system. And then, you know, th that narrative uh, and then on the other, the flip side of the coin. So, you know, you've got 4 billion people that live underneath that modern monetary theory uh, kind of path or are close to it. And then you've got another 4 billion people that live underneath an authoritarian regime that can't trust their government to run a sound economy or a stable currency or protect their citizens from asset seizure. Um, you know, so it, 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 you know, something like Bitcoin is, is a way out of that regime. That's a, it's a vote for freedom for them. And then, you know, so that path in terms of why this matters, uh, the pace of adoption is, you know, as we stand here today, relatively clear, right? That in terms of back to the four questions, how ready is the world for the technology? The world's really ready for technology that allows people to opt out of those two scenarios. One of those two scenarios. Yep. The the you know if you if you take the the smart contract use case example, how ready is the world for the technology is just it, it's slightly um more opaque. And it, you know, back to kind of like the gravitational pull of the world headed toward the digitization of everything and, uh, you know, like a better legal operating system. Because you know, if you write a contract, you know, between you and me today and then something goes wrong and we need to rely on enforcing the contract, think about how inefficient that is. Yep. And you, you got to get lawyers involved and they charge you by the hour. And it's a, quite the process and, you know, could take quarters or years in order to arrive at a decision of, um, you know, where that ends up. It's like, all right, well, 
if you could express all of that uh, in code uh, from the onset, well, the enforcement of that becomes a little easier. Right. Uh, there's just you know much less room for interpretation and getting people involved and all that. But what's the what's the crescendo? What is the the geopolitical landscape? What's the macro landscape that creates the catalyst to push the world in that direction over two years or seven years or ten years? Yep. I just I, that that's relatively unknowable yes you're, you're more so making a bet on uh, a binary bet of is the world going to head in that dire- head in that direction eventually yes and i'm i'm pretty certain of that okay so that's that's good so let's talk about the united states a little so let's assume we move through this and everybody kind of starts understanding it more people own it um do you think it takes a you know a a worldwide company, a Amazon, an Apple, like whatever. And I'm sure you can do some stuff with Bitcoin, but do, do you think like, when will most people, what's that thing that happens potentially that's like, okay, this is real. This is a thing. I can use it. I can spend it. Is that what it takes? Is like American companies who operate worldwide to say, all right, let's do it. And we're, we're long ways from that. I get it. But is that what it takes, do you think, for the average person to say, I believe in it, I'm in it? Um, you know, it's probably a little bit back to that. Um, you know, slow at first and then suddenly yep. it all happens type of scenario. But like if you if you look at where venture capital investment, right. uh, the broad spaces that it's gone into over the last um, several years, I believe by an absolute landslide, it has uh, like the the clear winner there from a total dollars invested perspective is financial technology. Right. And, you know, it, it's it, the, <laughs> you know, if, if you've got a mortgage and that mortgage company is asking you to send a fax of a particular document, and, you know, it's a pretty clear indication that they're about a decade behind right. where they should be. <laughs> and the, you know, and you've got the the SWIFT system, the ACH system that takes you know multiple days yep. or weeks to finally settle and get uh, you know final settlement in, in whatever the ledger there is, and it's the if you if you think about trying to rearchitect the financial system right. or revise the financial system there's a pretty decent argument that it might just be easier to rebuild it entirely outside of the existing system mm-hmm. and, ex- and and create all sorts of experiments and new innovations that um, may or may not fail and and then ultimately have some level of crossover between the two systems and interaction on ramps and off ramps between the two systems and that I mean, look at all the the neo banks, all the smart banks um, yep. that that have popped up. You know, Revolut is a, is a great example, um, and <laughs> you know, Bank of America and J.P. Morgan are, and you know the the top banks here in the U.S. have uh, you know let people down so many times that you 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 need a catalyst, you need a reason for people to switch over or right. to adopt varying different products that fill out their whole stack and 
as you have this shift um, from, you know, there's like 10,000 baby boomers reaching retirement age every uh, day between now and 2030. And with that comes uh, the start of a transition of of wealth and decision making from an analog native generation to a digitally native generation. And if you think that that digitally native generation is going to be okay sending a fax, I think you're probably <laughs> fooling yourself. Yeah, <laughs> like my, they're, my, they're... my children will not know what a fax machine is. I'm confident in that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's kind of like the example of rolling down the window. Like, why, so what let, do you mean roll? Down the I window? know we could talk a long time. Let's <laughs> so, talk a little bit more about from the from the price side of Bitcoin. And again, no one's got a crystal ball. I get it, but it appears yep. to me that. You know, the things that have been happening over the last, certainly the last few weeks, but few years are certainly catalysts for a lot of the things you've been talking about, whether it's central banks or, you know, money flow or whatever you want to talk about. So the price of Bitcoin, it it's obviously very volatile, you know, on a day-to-day, mm-hmm. month-to-month basis. So in terms of the next two years, three years, clearly what you do for a living and what you founded a company on believes in the technology or the asset class itself. So what do you think is really driving the price of Bitcoin? Cause the average person, myself included, I can't figure it out. <laughs> well, it, it, it's a little bit like that. Um, supply and demand concept yep. you brought up earlier in that, um, when the, underlying purchasing power of your native currency, so in our case, the United States dollar, um, is almost guaranteed to be worth less a year from now or five years from now or 10 years from now than it is today, that's a pretty deep incentive to search for a better home, a better home for that cash, right? Yep. Uh, And that's where scarce assets or revenue like ownership and some sort of revenue producing organization uh, or value accretive organization like equities, Apple, Fang stocks, whatever it is. Yep. Um, you know, that, that, that's how you arrive at that decision. And so with Bitcoin, you're, you're arriving at the conclusion that this digital thing has all of the characteristics that you would like you know, in a money or a store of value, um, you know, so it's uh, divisible, it's durable, it's portable, it's uniform, uh, it's got a limited supply, uh, you know, naturally dollar does not have a limited supply, right. and, and it's acceptable. And all of those um, are, you know, it's it's all a belief system. You're managing a belief system, and, right. the, and the belief in the the ruble, for example, think about how um, that's changed just in the last two weeks or three weeks. Right. And, you know, how long has the Russian ruble been around? Um, in, in, and, and the, so, in the, uh, the, I guess, the process that we're going through here of adoption, do you believe yep. if this were a baseball game that we're in the second inning, the fourth inning, or have we not even – has the pitcher not even taken the mound yet? Where are we at in that? <laughs> no, I think I think that the the pitcher is has taken the the mound for sure. You know, we're probably somewhere in the second inning. Okay. Uh, I, I 
how many Bitcoin users are there? Uh, I'm just doing a quick Google sure. here. Um, let's see. I'm not coming up with anything right offhand. That's all right. Um, but it's but it's a small percentage. It's it's yeah, it's super early, right? And it, it's to to your point earlier about you know feeling like you're in the right space and and building a business that's making a bet on that. Um, it's early and there's very few more compelling, if any more compelling risk reward opportunities that have similar asymmetric characteristics, right? right? So the amount of risk you're taking is, is far less than the potential, uh, upside. And I know we're, um, we're running a little short on time here, but my question to you as a person or as a firm, do you guys put out price targets on Bitcoin? We, that, yeah, we don't tend to put price targets out on okay. Bitcoin. You know, right now it's just under uh, um, I think it's a, up a today. trillion dollar market. Yep. Yeah, it's up today. It's like a $750, million or billion dollar market cap. And total circulating supply of like treasuries is, 25 trillion or something like that. And, um, you know, if you're thinking about that as a potential addressable market, you know, 10% of treasuries, that's a two and a half or three X from here, uh, you know, in Bitcoin. And, um, that's totally plausible. Yeah. Um, you know, no, I over, think over I, what time horizon? That's hard to say. I think that's, yeah. uh, you know, and as we were talking the other day, you know, for, for us, you know, I, I, I do obviously believe in it as an owner of it and as somebody who's followed your company for a couple of years now. Um, but I think the, you know, for us, I think what the average investor is waiting for and it's happening as we speak is, you know, how do I buy these assets or buy some index that tracks an asset so I might not own the asset? you know, in a more uh, tradable fashion for the average person. And, and we certainly from the investment world are seeing that. And we will certainly see a big boom of that, I believe, here in 2022 and certainly into, you know, 2023. So I think that's going to be a big part personally for the average consumer is, you know, maybe not from a usability, but from a from an investment standpoint, you know, how do I track it? How do I buy it? What do I do? Because it's, it's not the easiest thing. It's not the most comfortable thing right now for the average person to do. No, I agree, and and all the the beautiful thing is the products and on ramps and off ramps in order to achieve those investment goals over the last two or three years have made really significant strides. Like the the worries around custody or trusted companies, yep. or can I get access to this in my Fidelity account? Like most of those concerns are now removed. Right. They've been solved, right. and. Um, you know, institutions are, um, you know, so we're talking about the, the world's largest banks and corporations and, and even governments are starting to build positions in you know, assets like, like Bitcoin. And, you know, that's that's great to see. Right. Um, well, good. Anything else, uh, Anthony, before we end here, any words of wisdom for the uh, the average consumer out there? Um. You know, one 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 thing that I that I like to talk about, you know, we, we touched on the trust revolution, but touching on value mobility uh, is, you know, zooming out a, a little bit uh, is is helpful. You know, 
it, the foundations of the internet were invented in like the late 1960s or 70s yep. and um it took us a few decades to get to the point to where we had usability and you had sufficient global broadband penetration that now we have data mobility we have instantaneous global information dissemination and just think about all of the unknown unknowns if you're sitting in 1995 um that have now become part of daily life right, right. in 1995 our mom and dad were still telling us don't get in a stranger's car and don't sleep at a stranger's house and all of a sudden <laughs> uber and airbnb come around and uh in 2000 2008 or whenever they were founded you know that wasn't that long ago right you know, we're talking 15 14 15 years ago and so now with you know crypto as it's colloquially called you know we're talking about value mobility we're talking about instantaneous global value dissemination and um having all of that handled with technology instead of um you know third parties that are slow and inefficient and not, and not trusted right and it, you know this is a bet that the world's gonna head in that direction and admittedly just like the build out of the internet there are some unknowns but um uh, making a bet against that outcome is probably not a bet i would make <laughs> <laughs> i would i would agree with you well yeah. hey i want to thank you for uh for joining me today and, and certainly uh if anybody has questions or thoughts there's a ton of information that that Anthony's company and, and others put out that we'd be happy to uh, to get you. But just thank you, Anthony, for uh, being a guest today. It's been a pleasure, Nate. Enjoy the rest of the day. We'll talk right. to you soon. Thank you. Bye.